And now, it's time for that great new game show. It's the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast. Something new, something revolutionary. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Ultra Mega Superstar Jordan, along with the other guy. That's me. Some, some call him Andrew. And uh, episode 81. We're excited about this one. It's a, it's a good episode. We're 81 weeks old, episodes old. It's a, it's a healthy age to be. It is. It's where I want to be. So what yeah. did we do last week? I think last week we had our first screen share. We'd, we had talked about it. It's something we've always wanted to do, but we are aware most of our listeners are purely audio. So we... And we had screen sharing. We did our best to try to explain exactly everything we're seeing, but we're waiting for feedback to see how it works. I think we did pretty good, but we need actual confirmation because it is something we're we're looking to try new things to kind of expand on the podcast. And that's just one of them. Yeah. PowerShell at pdq.com. Send us your feedback. Let us know if you liked it, if you thought it was terrible, if you are just an audio listener and anything further than that is not your vibe. We are curious to hear your feedback and we'll react accordingly. Um, Jordan, should we tell them we've been kind of thinking about a little bit of a format change? Uh, I think not an every time format change, but there's something a listener suggested that we've been bouncing around that we want to try out. And this, we want to try doing it live and on Twitch or something. Yeah, Twitch, maybe Discord, maybe, yeah, something like that. Having some kind of live podcast where, when possible, uh, we interview people live and there'll be a chat. I think it might you know, help us out, uh, create some new connections because there's some people who have cool interactions in this community that we don't know about all of them. And boom, we connect some dots, connect some people, some new friendships, some good collaboration. Yeah, I think it's a great way where we love a community, a great way to get the community more involved in, in the actual event itself. Yeah. yeah. We talked to James Brundage last week and he was talking about a new user group. Yep. Uh, it's officially a go. So it's Pacific PowerShell user group. I believe it's on the main, yeah, or Pacific Pug, because James Brundage is a fan of the Pugs. He loves Pugs. Yep. So September 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific time is going to be the first ever, uh, I guess, user group, the meetup for that one. They have four people running it. Three people that are, in fact, on the coast, and then me, which... Uh, you know, they've already shown a lack of wisdom by including my name to anything. But I'm excited about this one. I believe the first episode we're going to be talking about modules is more of a basics or an intro. It's not going to go advanced straight away, but, you know, you want to find a balance between beginner subjects and advanced subjects. See if you can't get everyone involved in some way. For sure. And what date is that? September 13th? September is it? 13th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Awesome. And I want to highlight one blog before we interview our amazing guest. Right. And that is Gilbert Sanchez, Senor Sysadmin. Um, he has some awesome stuff about terminals, shells, and prompts. I think he's put out a couple blogs about it. Uh, I'll have some links in the show notes for that. Check that out. And I'm thinking we need to get Gilbert back on here to talk to us about it because we've been on a little bit of a prompt kick, haven't we, lately? Like making your console experience better and more pretty. I, I feel like this is just your long, drawn-out way to try to win the argument we've been having for a year. I, it might be. It might right. be. But what's next? Who do we have here today, Jordan? Well, today we got guest Michael Bender, who is 
a legend of I, I saw your bio it says you think of yourself as a teacher which puts you in fantastic company because that is the same way jeff hicks views himself first absolutely great to be here guys absolutely i'm a, you know hicks is one of my favorite teachers in the powershell community he's such an amazing he's just an amazing human you know he knows so much but he is just a he's a great person and uh so i look up to him not only professionally but also personally just you know having people like that in the community not that you guys aren't phenomenal and everybody else in the community is jeff is just one of those people that he he gives and gives and gives and uh just a great person so awesome to be on finally to be on the podcast you know 81 um terrell owens i believe was 81 i'm trying to think of who else was 81 um i, I, I don't remember I think 81, I was 11 years old. So you guys probably weren't on the planet. Yeah, it's negative three. Of, negative three. So I was we, I was like negative uh, 12. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We, we love doing this podcast. We love being involved in the community. And one of the reasons we're excited for this conversation is you are also involved in the community and a lot of it is with training and teaching and making sure everyone can become their best PowerShell versions, which I think is fantastic. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that is, you know, that's why I get up in the morning, you know, we all, a paycheck's a paycheck, you know, we all need to make money to do things to provide for our family, our communities and so forth. But the thing that gets me up in the morning is knowing today I have an opportunity to be able to help somebody else level up their career. Because the way I look at it is if I share something with the two of you, the two of you are going to share it with your audience. Your audience is going to do something with it to get back to their community. Inevitably, it's a for it's as Don Jones would say, being a force multiplier is that's, you know, that's what a teacher is, is, is you, you only hope that the, the nugget that you provide a group of people is able to multiply and just have that large of an impact on the greater good. Yeah. I harp on this a lot, but I know as PowerShell people, we kind of really get excited about things that are efficient. And when we write a nice script and it makes things better. And that is to me what being a teacher and being a force multiplier is all about. It is an amazing use of your resources because it scales so well. Um, even if it scales outside your work or your inner circle, ultimately it makes the community that you exist in better, which makes your life experience a bit better, or at least certain aspects of it better. Um, I really enjoy thinking about just how efficient it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's pretty darn cool. Now, you've been an educator for a long time, right? Kind of in a bunch of different spaces. Can you give us a little bit of background on your career and kind of what led you to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in third grade, I liked, no, I'm not going to start at third grade. <laughs> uh, I, you know, to, to just kind of full stop, go forward to the, the, the late 90s is I made a big career change, decided to go into IT, went back to school at a local tech college. And got a got an internship at a local Fortune 500 telecom 
and internship turned into a full-time gig for a while. And then I decided, you know what? I had always, I, because I went to a tech school, I loved the fact at, at community colleges, tech colleges, that oftentimes your teachers didn't learn through a book. They actually are doing the stuff. They're teaching you real stuff. And so I loved that about my teachers. And I thought, sometime I want to do that. And the opportunity came up. And so I spent 13 and a half years at, at uh, Madison College in Madison, Wisconsin, a technical college. I, I co-led our sysadmin program. So I taught Windows. I brought PowerShell to our campus. I introduced actually going on with being more efficient. We would teach operating systems and we would have removable hard drives. So imagine this, I'm teaching a class where we're teaching multi-domains and people have removable hard drives and somebody forgets, doesn't come to class and you don't plug in their drive. What do you think happens to those domain controllers? I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're fine. So I'm like, there's got to be a better way to this. So that's when virtual PC came out. And so I started using virtual PC in class. First started with storing the images locally, then USB drive. And then I started, I, my entire department took that on. And then I started teaching train the trainers across our state to using desktop virtualization. I also taught uh, vSphere certification. So how to use server virtualization. And so um, that led to, I was at Microsoft with um, the amazing uh, Rick Klaus and uh, Pierre Roman and some other people in cloud advocacy went to Pluralsight, came back to Microsoft. And along the way, I've written and tech edited books. I've done a number of video series on uh, Pluralsight. Probably my, my uh, favorite one is the PowerShell Getting Started course. Uh, that chances are some of your learners have, uh, have watched it. And uh, myself included. Hopefully it was good. Um, I'm I'm incredibly modest about about those sorts of things. I, I never hype myself up, but I appreciate when hearing the kind words that people have about, you know, when you're a teacher, you know, the best, you know, the best thing you can get is, you know, because often you don't get paid very well as a teacher. Uh, the best thing you can get is when uh, somebody comes back to you and said that, hey, you know, I learned that from you and I was able to level up my career and those sorts of things. So, you know, it's been great as a teacher. Um, I have a laundry list of all of these amazing, amazing people that are doing actually more amazing stuff than I am. Like one of my students, I keep a top 10 list of like, okay, if I were to start a company, these are the 10 former students who I would hire. And one of the people on the top of the list um, ended up, the, he works at Microsoft. He's a principal I think a technical specialist now, but he was a CSA and he, he amazing, amazing dude. And, you know, who knows when you're going to have that opportunity as a teacher to be able to have an impact on somebody. And, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't believe that, you know, I, you know, allowed him to, you know, get that job or whatever, but, you know, I've had lunch with him and he shared with me that he, you know, I was a influence on him being able to get where he needed to go. And I mean, stuff like that, you know, that you put that in your, in your, when you're having a bad day, you go into your 
you know, good thoughts bucket. And, uh, you know, it's, if you keep filling up that bucket, then it's hard to have a bad day. I need a good thoughts bucket. Yeah. I, I mean, can so relate to that. I mean, you should, yours should be filled to the top. Yeah. I think that it speaks to the benefit of sharing with someone when they help you. I think that at least earlier, whenever I was consuming I would just assume, oh, there's so many people. It's such a big world. What's the point of me saying anything or leaving a review with actual thoughts and sharing my experience? But in reality, you know, the people creating the content are real people who this has an effect on. And we often hear from the people we interview that it makes a big difference. And I can speak, Jordan, and I can speak from our experience. The kind things that people say or the way that they let us know it impacts them or helps them in their jobs or whatever, it goes a long way to feeling like it's worth it to making you want to do more. And it's, I say this a lot of times on the podcast too, where sharing positive and helpful feedback is very efficient, just the same. It really encourages more contributions and more connections and it opens up the door for all kinds of great things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Cause it goes with the, it goes with the eight old adage. We don't learn anything from doing it the right way. We do, we learn from doing things the wrong way and getting positive feedback about how we can be better. And, you know, that's, you know, that's hard for people. Feedback is hard. I mean, I can tell you that when I read some of the comments of whether it's a presentation or my course, and, you know, you can tell somebody's had a really bad day and they've chosen to take it out on you, not because you're whatever, but, you know, there wasn't enough coffee at the conference, so they're going to put you on blast. And it's hard not to take that personally, but there's so many opportunities to just glean just amazing changes that you can make and that you can grow from, from those opportunities. I just wish everybody would be more give feedback the way you'd like to receive feedback. Yeah. I think that for me, a term that comes to mind is psychological safety. Like when you're in a, with, whether it's within a company or doing more public things, when you have the safety to do things and you give yourself and in your work environment, whatever gives you the space to potentially make mistakes. And it's like a culture of learning and a culture of giving and receiving feedback in a thoughtful way that leads to a better product for everyone involved. Cause you don't want the opposite of where you never hear anything that you could do better, but if you can hear it in a well put together way, well, all of a sudden you have actionable feedback that you can actually improve from rather than, wow, this feedback totally ripped me to shreds. And the thought of me actually taking a step forward after this is, is a lot of mental effort. And people only have so much of that. And we want people to do well in the world because it yeah. makes our world a little bit better. For sure. For sure. I struggle. And this is something I don't know if I'm alone in this or if this is a common thing, but through therapy, I've learned that positive feedback actually triggers my anxiety. I don't, I don't know what the underlying cause, I mean, hopefully I'll find that out eventually. That's the whole point of going to therapy. But so for, for me, just feedback, like negative feedback makes me feel the same way you guys feel, but positive feedback doesn't help. I mean, in the, in the back of my mind, I know it's, it's great to get, but nothing triggers my anxiety more than getting positive feedback, which feels kind of uh, counterproductive to what I do. Definitely a challenging situation to be dealing with, no doubt. Yeah, that's that's a. I can't. I can see where that's coming from, and to myself, I'm thinking, 
I could put on my therapist hat and diagnose that, but I'm not gonna. I <laughs> that's that is I I would think that's probably more prevalent than we think. That you know, you think about how we're brought up in society is that. You know, at least in my generation and my parents' generation and going back a lot, you know, a lot's changing, but a lot's the same is that, you know, I think a lot of, you know, what gets the hype? Negative gets the hype. You know, we don't, I mean, think about it at work. I never got emails because the mail server had been up for the last seven days, but when it's down for 30 minutes, then you're on blast. So... You know, it it almost makes sense that the negative stuff, we want to hear that because, oh, that's our job is to put out the fires. But the positive stuff, oh, what do I do with that? I, I, I'm not ready for that. That, you know, I can't do anything with that. I can't put out a fire with that. I think that's a, that's a switch we need to flip that it, it moves to that, you know, I'm going to throw out the, the, the overuse term. It, it it's a growth mindset is that's how you flip that to, you know, going, okay, how can I use that for me positively to, to grow from that? And so I have no doubt, Jordan, that you will be able to um, move into a place where you'll be able to, to grow from that. But I mean, the, the first part was, you know, someone pointed out that that was the case because the more I think about it, it was absolutely correct. So it's, uh, I mean, who knows how long I've been going around there not understanding what was causing the anxiety. So having, uh, knowing the cause is nice. Now I can put steps forward to to fix it. Cause I'd love to be able to have a conversation about the podcast and good or bad, come away with the same level of anxiety. I'd love to come away from conversations with just nothing but happy thoughts. So yeah. Plus one for therapy. Plus one. Always a good call out. And this kind of brings a thought to my mind, which is, you know, how we do get negative feedback primarily in IT. It's what opens up all the tickets. And um, I think that there's some room for growth in terms of leaders um, kind of changing that narrative. So obviously we can't have every single customer leave positive feedback and say nice things after we help them. But there are ways maybe quarterly to say, hey, here's the awesome stuff we did on server uptime, or here's all the great things that so-and-so did, which were tickets, which were really impactful that ended up causing things, and kind of helping um, overwrite some of that and create more of a culture where it's not just all negative all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot comes down to, you know, it depends a lot of it, you know, you can use all the different words, whether it's an OKR or KPI or whatever the the leadership uh, acronym is for metrics is is retooling those metrics to being you know something positive to like okay you know it should it shouldn't be a negative the number of tickets it should be a positive the number of tickets we closed or a percentage that we in, we in, we improved 20% from last quarter of our ability to close tickets within whatever our time frame is that we want a ticket closed in and setting the metrics on those instead of like, you know, you need to have less tickets. No, that's not going to happen. You realize we're dealing with people. The let's focus on that positive metric over on the other side. And of course that all starts with leadership and, you know, everything starts with the leadership that, uh, you know, that's a problem with being a middle manager is that 
a middle manager can only do so much. If their leaders aren't leading towards where you want to go, you're never going to get there. You might get small incremental things, but you you can't seismically change the culture of an organization if every leader from the top down does not buy into it and live by that. Yep, the middle managers are a little bit handcuffed in terms of what they can actually do, right? They only have so much agency. They have to respond to their leaders and do kind of their bidding to a certain extent. But I do like the note about setting KPIs that are actually meetable. And to me, that kind of ties in with like just generally in our careers with ourselves, you know, setting ourselves up to take one step at a time, not setting huge lofty goals. I mean, setting huge lofty goals is great, but what's the path to get there? Um, Because for me, I've definitely set a lot of amazing goals. And then unless I kind of pave the path to get there, it just becomes a good idea that kind of, you know, I I think we all have lots of good ideas. It's executing on them that is really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's interesting. I was just having coffee with a friend of mine, and we we're we both work in a nonprofit organization uh, with a nonprofit organization, and we we're talking about big ideas. And you know, I think we we have to think we have to do that blue sky thinking. I think that's the proper term is just like you know, let's go to Mars or whatever. You know, think of these big ideas. But then I think what you need to do is you need to you know, it's great to have those big ideas, but then you have to go okay. Is that really going to work? That's a cool idea. I love the idea of that, you know, but let's work on a lunar lander, you know, taking that whole analogy is that, you know, you, you, you gotta have that, you gotta dream, you gotta, you know, you gotta think about things that are beyond what you can do because that's, you know, what drives us, but you know, you also have to bring it down to you. You gotta go, okay. You know, what can I actually do? And something that's outside of my comfort zone as well. And that's also a thing too, is you can't just always be shooting for goals that are outside of your comfort zone because that that's what leads to burnout. That's why people burn out is because they are constantly redlining. It's I was listening to a podcast yesterday. It's basically the same thing as putting your car in neutral and stepping on the gas the entire time that that's how people go to burnout is because, you know, I don't want to just present at the local user group. I'm going to present at ignite. I'm going to do every conference around the world. I'm going to travel everywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to blog post every day. I'm going to do a podcast twice a week. You know, I think that for me, it's about falling in love with the process and the journey, right? Accepting that you're not just rushing to that end, like all the juice. And when people go through lives often at the end, they kind of like reflect that the journey and getting there was the most enjoyable part. I can speak from my experience. Like I've reached some goals that I thought I would not get to. And then I kind of get to them and um, you know, it's the journey that was the exciting part. Cause once you get there, it is a little bit like, Oh, uh, it's great, but I want to keep working. I want to keep doing the growth thing. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes over the year is the journey is the destination. That uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Is that I I am classic at having big ideas and not bringing them to completion. And you know, that's a, that can be a challenge, but I'm still along the way, still enjoying the ride and doing the things that I need to do and and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I remember early on in my PowerShell days, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Every single day, I'm going to go through this book for one hour. And then and just, I didn't give myself time to absorb it. I probably did that three times before I was really like, okay, let's settle into things. Let's not panic to turn the next page. Let's let my brain really absorb this and just kind of be confused for a bit and not rush past it as if it's just another checkbox. And, and whenever I did that, I was able to really kind of connect some thoughts, get out of that pressurized state that I put myself in and, and learn some things and make some good progress and then kind of find a healthy cadence to keep learning and keep being curious, not in a way that was forced so much as it was kind of intuitive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So interesting backstory. You've been an educator for a really long time and we'll include some links uh, to your plural site courses um, and some other stuff that you've done. I know you've spoken in a lot of user groups as well over the years. Um, I have. I, have. It, I think it's, uh, how's that been for you? Have you always done public speaking stuff or was that something you kind of added along the way? You mentioned doing some training for other uh, college trainers and stuff. I went from being a corporate IT nerd to teaching in a classroom full time with no preparation outside of having been a student. Right. So I went, so the person that, you know, cause I hear it from the people I work with. I hear it. And this isn't meant to be braggart. A lot of people I talk to after I do like a presentation internally or something, they're like, how do you do that? You know, I'm like, you know, I give them some of the tips, but I'm like, I went I went through the crucible to get to where I'm at now. Where I'm at now is about 20 years of failing a lot and having to learn and hone my craft and, you know, do those sorts of things. And, you know, along the way is, you know, part of it, I can tell you early on, a lot of it came from going to conferences and seeing people like um, Mark Rusinovich and Don Jones and Mark Manassi and seeing people deliver content and then getting to know people and figuring out how to prepare. Because, you know, just like we talked, the journey is the destination. The journey, you know, Presenting is just like, you know, whether it's LeBron James playing in game five of the NBA finals, or it's one of us delivering at a user group. If we didn't put the work in before, it's not going to show up just because we're live. So you, if you want to present, you got to put in the work. So like one of the things that I did early on, Rick Claus was was probably one of the premier people that got me on the road. Um, I'll send you guys a a link that you can put with the show notes to a book that I highly recommend people check out. Um, it's by Scott Berkman, and it's all about presenting. And so Rick really helped me in my presentation. And so, like when I started out as a cloud advocate, because I was having to go around the world, we were taking somebody a presentation somebody else had created and you got to make it your own. And so I record all my presentations at home 
And then I use Camtasia to edit myself. So I took a, I had a security presentation on Azure that I had to do in, in, I had three weeks to do it in Tel Aviv. It had to be 45 minutes and my first run through was 75 minutes. That's a lot of uh, cut down. Yikes. And I used technology to be able to edit myself. I was able to see, looking at the timeline visually, I was able to see where there was drop time. And because I record my video demos, I was able to bring those down in time. So I was able to go in and go, instead of like, oh, I got to get rid of 30 minutes, is like, oh, this demo can be two minutes shorter. This demo can be three minutes shorter. I can get rid of that story. And the next thing you know, you're down to 45 minutes. So it's a lot of a lot of work. It's very enjoyable. I love, I love presenting. But I'm about done with it. Um, kind of at that point where, you know, I love going to the PowerShell conference and but I want to talk. I'm at the point now, I actually just turned down a course at Pluralsight because I don't want to do it. I'm like, I'm just done with that. Is that I want to talk about the things I want to talk about, like podcasts, like these sorts of things, talking about learning and, you know, these and being able to share stuff that I'm interested in. And I'm not really, I'm not down. I'm me personally, I've already done that part of learning the technologies and sharing those with people. Not that I don't do that through my day job. But if I'm going to go out and speak to somebody, I want to do a soft skills talk. I want to talk about mm -hmm. career. I want to talk about how you learn and how you can be a better human in both your personal and professional life. I love to hear that. Yeah, I'm in a similar-ish boat in terms of like, to me, that's the most efficient. Um, and it applies to the most domains. It applies to both your work life and your personal yeah. life and just all the kind of core skills that people need to thrive in life. Um, to throw back earlier to when you're mentioning recording with Camtasia and, and uh, reviewing your stuff, that seems like a form of giving yourself feedback, right? We talked about the importance of feedback. It sounds like you created a process that allowed you to give yourself some feedback and also had some kind of mentors to give some external feedback along the way to kind of shape and guide you, which is really cool. Yep. Um, and I can, I can tell you that I hate listening to myself. Oh, me too. Hey, um, I was just, I was just listening to an episode of wired for hybrid. And I was like, did I take something like some cold medicine before that? Because I'm like, Pierre's kind of like snappy. And I'm like talking like an old man, you know, rah, rah, rah. and I, I think we're, we're all our worst critics, but that's been the hard, that was really hard for me to be able to but I knew that the outcome and the outcome, it was a game changer. It absolutely changed my level of the work that I did. I had one of my close friends, a coworker, came up to me after a presentation in Tel Aviv. He's like, he's like, wow, that was something. He, he's like, do you like virtual networking? And that's the area I work in now. But at the time I'm like, no, I got kind of an interest in it. He's like, I could not tell that, you know, that it's like, you were, he's like, you're a rock star. 
you know, kind of quote unquote. And it's that sort of feedback, but that came from a ton of work. I was never there before, but I put in the work because if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to, because for me, when I present, I don't get nervous because I'm presenting. I get nervous that I'm not going to deliver. So like my talk at PowerShell Summit was terrible because I had some technical detail, technical issues, and it just didn't, I, I was not happy with it because that's what keeps me up at night before I have to present is that, okay, and this is a pretty big bar. This almost gets to the perfectionist bar, but it's like, I want to make sure that every person in that room got out of what they thought they were going to get from that presentation because they were kind enough to come and give me my time. I have to show up. And I, I know that's a lot of pressure, but it's one of those things. I'm fine with that because that's my bar. That's my bar for presenting is that I want to present at a level that because I truly believe the most important thing people can give you is their time because we can't get more of that. We are constantly that hourglass. And at some point, the sand's going to run out. And that if somebody chooses to give you their time, if you don't appreciate that, that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal to me. Yeah. I can relate to that because if you have a platform, it is something you kind of benefit from, but it is definitely also a responsibility. Like if people are looking to you for anything, um, you know, that's a very fortunate place to be in and you should definitely take it serious, which it sounds like you do. And, and I've kind of learned to appreciate that um, over the years as well. Yeah. To call back earlier a little bit, I was kind of thinking, um, I think a lot of this whole journey thing is learning about yourself as well, learning how you take feedback best. I think Jordan kind of mentioned working on some of that stuff. And I think that that's like such a critical part, learning how you learn best, learning how you communicate best, learning what kind of bugs you or what boundaries you may have in communications and things like that is pivotal to being able to do more, right? Like if you find out that something in your workflow causes a lot of roadblocks, well, if you can remove that, well, all of a sudden, for the foreseeable future, unless things change in your life significantly, like you're going to have one less roadblock, you're going to be able to get more things done, have more mental clarity, so on and so forth, um, which is kind of, to me, that's just like such a special thing that we share in IT. Like, yes, it is PowerShell. Yes, we are learning and it's a job, but it is more. Like we're in this thing for a long time. It's not a six month gig and it's done. It's a little hobby. It's our careers. And oftentimes that has a big impact on our families, our personal relationships, all kinds of things. So it's definitely responsibility. Yeah. You know, it, it, it definitely is. And, you know, I think, you know, if I were to look, if I were to go back and talk to the younger me, there's a number of things that I would tell them. One, I would have told them, put into your 401k sooner. Um, two, you know, live modestly, um, take care of your health, but also the, probably the most important thing, don't take yourself so seriously. Um, I've been doing a, you know, when I turned down, it was a course that I was, um, gonna, we had talked about 
updating it because they wanted it updated. And I told them when I could possibly get it done. And they're like, they wanted it at a different time. I thought about it. And I'm like, I'm going to pass because it doesn't fit into. And that was big for me because I've been side hustling probably for t- two decades. So whether it's paid for or not paid for, that's a lot of time, probably thousands of hours that I didn't spend with friends, didn't spend with family, didn't spend on myself driving towards things. So not that these aren't important, but I think it's super important that we learn not only how we learn, but we learn about ourselves. We got to, we, you have to really understand what's important in your life, whether that be family, whether that be community, whether that be the America, the, the, you know, the dollar, there's nothing wrong with, with that. I know plenty of people that when we talk about money and jobs that one of my buddies at Microsoft, he's fully focused on that and rewards and all of that stuff. But he knows that that is the means to his end, which is spending time with his family, which is taking them on amazing trips, seeing the world, being able to share with his family is that you really have to figure out as you're learning, learning about yourself and what's important to you. And, you know, you were talking about earlier about goal setting is that you got to define that North star for yourself. What do you want to be? And, you know, take that time and think about yourself, you know, do you want to be, do you, you know, do you want to look like Jeff Bezos and somebody just, you know, pumped you up with air or do you do, what do you, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? What's the picture of yourself? And then you learn and figure out how do I get there? That doesn't mean you're going to get there, but it gives you a place to go to. And I think every person, and I did this in a talk a number of years ago, a tech mentor is we all should have a vision and a mission statement, just like every company and organization has those. They may be good. They may be bad, but you should have a personal vision statement. And for those out there, we're not going to go into this too deep because this would be an entire talk. When you're thinking about vision, if you achieve your vision, you need to think about it a little bit harder because it needs to be truly epic because that's what keeps you driving. That's what keeps you dreaming and working and, you know, moving forward. And, you know, that from then you, you know, you, you figure it out and you iterate and you're like, Oh, that went terribly. So what, what am I going to do better? Oh, that went great. How can I, Maybe do that better. So how often, or I guess, how do you know when it's time to reevaluate your initial drive? So for, for my example, my early obsession was with early retirement. I was all about it. The first thing I wrote for the company I work for now, PDQ, is they said, write what you're passionate about. So I created a retirement calculator in PowerShell, and I tracked my thoughts on how I work towards retirement. Uh, and then... Shortly after that, as my daughter got older, we started doing more things with daughter. I realized I was sacrificing a lot of time with my family now for an unknowable future. So yep. I reevaluated a lot and my retirement was 
still one of my goals. It wasn't my driving force anymore. So I started spending more time with the family because that's what's important to me. So I guess how often or how do you know when you need to reevaluate what goal you set to see if it's still in line with who you are today? You know, I think I don't like this week. I actually took off work this week. So this week is a get my together week. So I've got a big planner full of like, okay, here's things I'm getting done. But it's also like, you know, I'm figuring out, you know, it's kind of like, this is the perfect time for me to kind of think about those things where I'm at. And, you know, because I'm closer to the exit than I am the door. So I am fully thinking about retirement and everything I'm doing is towards that. And my wife and I talk about that. But I, I, I think if you do it quarterly, I think that's a good deal. But you also have to have you know, the problem with a lot of things, especially we, we all know this from being in IT, how do we know something's broken? Scream test, somebody else. That in our personal life, that could be tragic if the scream test is what tells us we're going in the right or wrong direction. So we almost need to, and I'm just saying from, I don't fully do this. I kind of have some stuff in place is that just like we monitor our networks, we need to monitor our lives. We need to set kind of like, you know, maybe it's retirement. Maybe you have a specific goals you need to reach. If for some reason something dipped down, maybe that's a warning sign to you that you need to take a look at something or, you know, maybe just kind of keeping an eye, you know, from kids, you can tell when kids haven't had enough interaction you can you can start to feel it any parent can you know you can kind of feel that sort of thing so you know that takes a lot of thinking but if there's certain areas i think it's once you figure out what's important then you can go okay here's the strategy here's what i'm trying to do what are the tactics and the measurements below that that I need to do to get there? And what's the measurement to know whether I'm being successful? And that's a ton of work, but I think you can get to a point to making you know things efficient. So like, let's just throw out the example. Let's say you're trying to get more healthy. You know, I want to lose weight. That's a terrible goal. I feel like it's we're a, it's a great strategy. now, but I'll, I'll go along. I mean, I'm, I'm totally there. That's what I'm doing this week. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, it goes down to really you know, figure out those things that are super important for you. So like family. So it could be you keep track of every month how many times you do a movie night. You do a go out and do something that's planned for you to no devices, no whatever, this thing. At the end of the month, you go, did we meet our goal of every week that we got together this? Or, you know, Setting those things, I think, would go a long way to be able to doing that. But then, of course, you need to have the discipline to actually do that. Motiva I was talking with my personal training yesterday, and motivation is not the driver. It's discipline. I have plenty of motivation to get healthy and all of that. I lack the discipline. And that's the thing I most have to work on. You know, it's like Jocko says, discipline is freedom. And, you know, that is the most important thing I think we can work on is just being more disciplined. And 
that's inevitably going to, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, that's like, you know, regiment. No, discipline isn't this like you're in the military. Discipline is simply like holding yourself accountable for what you want to do. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But yet we always make up all these excuses of why can't I exercise every day? Why can't I go for a walk? Uh, why can't I not watch Netflix for four hours? Because, you know, the latest thing that the algorithm told me that I should watch comes up there. And so, you know, squirrel. I feel that. I, I think that also when it comes to discipline, if you're not able to be disciplined, address like what's going on in life. You know, like Jordan mentioned, seeing a therapist is a great thing to do, but like maybe there are some other things going on that kind of need to be addressed so you can have the mental space to actually follow through with what you say, because you deserve that, right? We all deserve yeah. to be able to have that kind of relationship with ourselves. And yeah. um, Jordan, on redoing like or reassessing your game plan, I think the one thing that I need to work on more with myself that I have been working on is being self-aware, being aware of how you're really feeling. Like, are things really okay? And for me, a lot of times I get so busy in life that I don't like check in. I'll go weeks with just kind of in, in go mode all the time during the work week. And then I get home and it's like, okay, we're family time in it without kind of like, Hey, Andrew, how are we doing here? Are, are things going in the right direction? Are there things that need tweaking? Um, have you set some goals and you haven't checked on them in two weeks? That's uh, something that I've definitely done before. But on the topic of personal vision statements that you mentioned earlier, I love that. Um, working where I work now at PDQ, I've learned a lot about leadership by kind of seeing how we do things and the importance of a vision statement. Like I kind of thought that all this stuff was just corporate mumbo jumbo and stuff. But when you do have a good vision statement in the context of a business and in personal, but when you have a good one, it really does help direct like, what are we trying to do? What are we really trying to do outside of just live and, and die one day? Like, what are we trying to do? So I actually do have a personal vision statement that I put together a little bit ago. Um, where did you say you talked about that? Was this a talk that you did or? Yeah, it was at Tech Mentor in 2018. And unfortunately, they did not record their, um, their talks. And it's actually a talk that I've wanted to do a couple of times, but Every time I pitch it, nobody wants to hear it. So mm, um, interesting. Yeah. Can I share my personal vision statement? In Absolutely. Case it, uh, I'd love um, to hear it. It's, it's a few sentences long. I, I couldn't come up with like a really good one liner. But uh, my personal vision is to serve as an active builder of communities and relationships, using my professional abilities to create environments that empower others. I aim to nurture a network defined by mutual support, extending assistance where needed, and encouraging growth and wellness in others. As a family-centered person, I prioritize supporting my loved ones while also personifying the values of integrity and kindness. I envisage transforming these personal ideas into professional realities, cultivating a career that symbolizes community assistance and personal excellence in equal measures. That's what I got. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think it'll probably like change that. maybe a little couple tweaks over the years, but I think generally um, that's, that's kind of sh what I'm shooting for. And I think that when you have a career where you try and help others, you get to be less focused on the money. Cause usually if you're having a big impact in helping others, everything takes care of itself. Whether it's a business, if you're really providing value, it'll work out usually if you kind of do the business part in a decent way. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've always said that, you know, 
whatever you believe in, I've always believed that the the universe will inevitably provide good people the things. So the more you put out there, the more you get back. You know, that's the, I mean, that's why you should be doing community as opposed to, oh, I want to get my MVP. Well, you should, if, if you're not there for community and you're not doing the things, you know, that's a whole, I probably don't want to get in that can of worms of, <laughs> of how much it irritates me when, when people post, here's how to be an MVP. I'm like, if you got to ask how to be an MVP, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I would like to become an MVP one day, but I, and I just trust if you just keep doing things the right way, eventually it'll happen. Or if it won't, there'll be so many other benefits that you've gotten along the way and relationships and great things that yep. does it really matter if there's some little uh, gold star around your neck? No. Yeah. yeah. Get the internal validation. You don't need the external. Um, so I, I did want to loop back to something you said earlier where you were an IT professional, you switched over to teaching. Because I know, especially with the teacher shortage, I don't know if this is a Utah-specific thing or if it's becoming common, but if you are a working professional, they actually have a fast track to get from there if they're looking for a career change into being a teacher because they're having a hard time finding teachers, but they'd love to get the expertise of people that have been through it all earlier. So I, I just was wondering if that was uh, I don't know, it's, is a similar program for you that uh, opened up for you, or is it more just, I want to be a teacher so you went and applied? I kind of wanted to be a teacher, so I applied. Yeah. So like um, at the time when, so this was 2005-ish, uh, at the time, you know, they you had to have a bachelor's degree. It didn't have to be in whatever you were doing, but had to have work experience. So that's what a lot of community technical colleges, you know, they, I mean, if you're having a electrician's apprentice program, you're not going to hire somebody that's an English major that's got a PhD in English to do that. You're going to hire a master electrician that wants to teach and share their stuff. So, um, you know, I think the, the probably the best road, if somebody wants to get into that, is that you start out the, the way like, you both are doing and a lot of people in the community do is here you do presentations you do a podcast you share your knowledge you you know you're not just turning on the mic and you know talking to somebody you're i'm sure both of you have done prep work to prep for your talks and then you go over your talks later because you got added them and then you know you go what can we do better next time and how can we improve that you know working on that craft is going to translate over because you know, teaching in a classroom is no different than presenting on stage, except for, you know, you got to do stuff like grading and, you know, you come up with things. But I always loved teaching because at first, many of my students hated the thing. Some of them hated the stuff that I was doing because those were the students that were there for the wrong reason. The ones that were there for the right reason would always be like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in school, but I loved it. Because I would come up with these projects that was like, this is what I would want to do if I were in school. If somebody were to give me a project, like I came back from a conference and I'm like, okay, our project this year of building an entire network is going to be done with all PowerShell. Go. <laughs> and you should have saw 
and you had some people that killed it. You had some people that went out to, you know, I'd look at things and people do the whole Google, how to create a user with Google. And I'm like, do you know what that's doing? Long story short, they had pulled a script off the internet, which many people do. They didn't understand how it worked. They tried to run it, didn't run. They didn't realize it was based on back in that time. The only way you could really work with AD was using the Quest tools. They had a bunch of tools for that. And oh, the script yeah. used all of those, but they didn't realize that it wasn't in the box stuff. And so I think, you know, if you're passionate about sharing what you know and you're fairly comfortable with being in front of people, you can be a teacher because we're all teachers. We really are. Parents are teachers. Um, it doesn't matter what you do. There's an opportunity for you to be able to teach. And we, we need more cool people going into, especially um, into community college, technical college, because I truly believe with the way kind of our educational system is going, that's the best place for your kids to go. Um, you know, four-year college is great for some sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I kind of learned how to become an adult through four-year college got some of my best friends in the world. But at the end of the day, I learned the skills that led to where I'm at now by going to tech college and actually learning stuff that I could turn around and use in months and not years. And so I think that, you know, there's a really great opportunity for many of us in the communities to be able to give back to our communities by teaching. And many of these colleges are looking for part-time instructors to come and teach something. And so if it's something that it's like, oh, I'd maybe like to do that at some time. What would it hurt? If you've got some time and it fits into your grand plan, like we were talking about before. So like, I would love to go back and teach a class at the college. But one of the reasons I left the college is because I had to teach night classes. And I have no desire to go back and teach night classes. <laughs> so... If I could teach a class during the day, I would probably consider it. But, you know, that is for me part of, I know why I'm moving where I want to be and what I want that for me to find, you know, help to define that. So, and I like how you mentioned like the labs that you created were what you would want when you were in college and awesome things like that, where you kind of bring in your own perspective of what you've actually experienced and, and kind of add to it. Cause a lot of what I try and do is help me. Like back in the day, if I were to still be going up, like be that person of support that I kind of wanted and needed. And I think that when you can do that, it just comes across really authentic and it leads to um, lessons and things like that that resonate a little bit more. For sure. For sure. Now, I want to hear, you mentioned it earlier, Wired for Hybrid. Can we hear a little bit? What is Wired for Hybrid? Get a little so, plug. Wired for Hybrid is the show that... Um, Pierre Roman, I like to say that because he's French-Canadian, um, is a very, very close friend of mine. Worked with him previously at Microsoft. I work with him now, but we've been friends and we've known each other for years and years. So uh, he, him and I, when I came back to Microsoft, you know, we were just kind of chatting and he got 
as part of his body of work, he was in responsible for Azure networking for advocacy. And Azure networking is the area that I worked in. And we just kind of spitballed. We're like, hey, let's do a show where we talk about for our customers. And customers is not a bad word. I'll just leave it at that. Everybody has customers. For our customers, learners, let's create a show where we talk about what's new in Azure networking, but instead of the typical what and how, we're going to talk about the why. So it's kind of like you sports analogy here. You know, American football always has, you know, you have the Joe Buck who tells you exactly what's going on. And then you have Troy Aikman that is kind of the color commentary. And that's what we bring to Azure networking is we, we fill in, we not only tell you what's new and generally available, but we tell you why it would be important for you to organization to think about it. We, we go, you know, this is what this solves and this is chances are a problem that you have within your organization and how it fits in with that. And so, you know, we kind of do that and then we provide a bunch of links out the docs and, you know, it's, it's a way for us to, you know, just provide our, the learners um, better access and a different way of looking at things because, you know, the landscape of learning is, is changing. We've got all of these different mediums that, you need to be playing in all of these different areas because you never know the way that person is going to learn. So we've got the, the monthly show, and then we've started doing some deep dives where we work with um, people from the product teams and they come on and we'll die. We, we've got a couple of them, one's on Azure front, front door, another one on Azure Virtual Network Manager, which is a product I work on, that we basically go, Let's go 400 level with somebody that knows how this works into the product. And it's not just like, oh, I'm sitting through a big marketing thing. We do the kind of like laying the groundwork, but then we go into the product and we show you, here's how you do it and why you would do this and why you do that. And really just go deep into it because we know many people are like us. That's what we want. We want to see somebody show us in a deep manner how to do something that we can then leverage within our organization. I love that. Adding the context is so important. I know so many times I've been reading like change logs or things like that. And it's just like text that I can't place because I'm not an expert on the whole thing, you know? So it's really cool to hear that you're adding that context and helping people stay in the loop because uh, it can be challenging. There's a lot of things in the Microsoft world, new products, maybe renames of products, things like that. And I, we often talk about finding good resources to stay up with things, finding those communities. And this sounds like a really useful resource uh, for people to keep up with Azure networking. Yeah, so for sure. Yeah. And hopefully it's, you know, and it's one of those things where we're totally viewer centric. So we're always wanting people just like, just like you two are that you're like, Hey, tell us what you want to hear about. Who do you want to talk to? You know, we're the same way. We're like, tell us what your problem is. And let, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can get somebody to talk about it. What do you want to hear about? Do you want to hear more about this? And 
So getting that feedback, you know, especially in, in our world, I want to hear about what's wrong with our products because that's how we make better products and fix the problem for you and make better documentation or whatever it is. You know, I can't, I, I can't read your mind. If you don't tell me something's broken, I can't fix the documentation so that it helps you. And people can find this on podcast platforms or where's the best place for people to find Wired yep. for Hybrid? Absolutely. So you can get it on all the major podcast platforms. You know, so it's a podcast. You can also go to, oh, shoot. I'm spacing on the, uh, the, the URL for, um, his team has a whole blog, um, itopstalk.com is, is their tech community blog, the Microsoft tech community. And then we have a blog post and then we're also on YouTube. So if you'd like to see PR and I banter back and forth on video, um, just like you watch Andrew and Jordan, you can catch us on YouTube. If you want to listen to us in the car, um, you might want to put it on 1.25. That makes Pierre sound like Alvin from the chipmunks and makes me sound normal. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jordan, you got some uh, hard questions. You ready to bring in the heavy hitters? I do. Normally, we have three common parameters, but uh, in the name of efficiency, Michael already answered uh, the second one. So okay. we'll just take what we got here. Maybe we'll have you re-answer the second one. First common parameter. Are you ready for these? This sure. is a series of questions that get more difficult, and uh, most people don't make it to the third. It's too too nerve-wracking. Too nerve All right. Uh, first question. What was one time something went wrong while on the job, and uh, what did you learn from it? one time that something went wrong on the job. So back in the day, I was a, I worked on a third tier support, uh, mainly focused on our email infrastructure. And I was put on a project to help somebody that was doing a mail migration. And I did due diligence up front with that person to ensure things were done the way they should be done. And the thing that happened was what I expected to kind of happen because it normally does with older exchange servers. Basically the logs filled up. So the information store service stops. Common database thing, easy to fix. Well, the person who fixed it caused me and two coworkers to spend about 40 to 50 hours each fixing it because of one simple thing. What did I learn from that? I don't know if I have a great lesson. What I learned was I should have been there more and offered to support this person and to do the things that were my job instead of allowing them to do the things that used to be their job, but no longer was kind of their job. So learning from that, I should have ensured the things that I told them to make sure to do, I should have done. That's hard because I'm not trusting the person to do what I told them to do. That's a fine line is, you know, you, you both know what I'm saying is that, you know, I basically said, I can't trust that they're going to do this, 
but then we also need to kind of follow up and ensure that our piece of the puzzle's taken care of. How do you helicopter without them feeling like you're being a helicopter? Exactly. That, that's a fine line to walk. <laughs> it, it totally is. <laughs> All right. Well, the second common parameter, which you answered very well without realizing you were, you were jumping the gun here, with all of the knowledge that you have now, the mountains of information, what's one tip you would give your younger self when you're first starting out? Practice grace. Take the time to give yourself grace. Nothing you do, except if it involves your family, friends, is mission critical. And give, your, give yourself a break. I, for so long, that's why I redlined it and that's why I burned out and all of those sorts of things. You have to give yourself grace. You have to realize that, you know, you did the best you could and you're not always going to come through. True. That's fine. That's, it's okay to not be okay. Give yourself the, the space and grace to say that I'm not okay. And that's fine. And not fine in the house it's burning fine, but it's fine to not be okay and give yourself the ability to 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 do that. All right. Are you ready for the last one? This is where most people they can't they can't hang anymore. They drop okay. out. What are your three favorite PowerShell modules? So my first favorite is I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you who they are. I can't tell you the exact name of them. The first is Jeff Hicks's teaching tools. The one that has the one that types out, does this, you know, start typing one that allows you to be able to create a text file that does all of your commands in PowerShell that allows you to hit the space bar and it codes for you. His set of teaching tools, he's got one that's called Get Vegetable, which is an amazing way to teach people how PowerShell objects work. So his set of tools, um, Doug Fink's um, AI tools that he's done for PowerShell are absolutely amazing. And I'm not going to say this is a module. I'm going to say the entire help system that's built into PowerShell, the about files and all of the help that's kept up to date by Mikey and Sean and Mike and all the other people on the PowerShell team that is, it's not a module, but it's what makes PowerShell, I think, the most usable scripting language tool on the planet because the help is so robust and it provides you as little or as much as you need. Yeah, the fact that they have documentation built in for concepts that you might not be familiar with is like it, it is very thorough. It's a, that is, that is more than a fair answer. Do I get a mug or something? Uh, I mean that that's uh that's Andrew's paper. He's we can give you a mean mug. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'll do a. I'll 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 put my hand like this, and then I'll Photoshop a mug in with your logo. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> Gift granted. So, I don't know if you have been aware of it during this discussion, but you've actually been talking to an actual legend. Uh, Andrew Plaw, he, his first vision statement he ever set was 
I want to be the best at shilling a podcast that's ever existed. And uh, he had to come up with this new vision because, boy, did he achieve it. So we, we get the opportunity to sit back and listen to a master of his craft just spin gold. You know, I, I have to... I have to plus 1,000 on that because I can remember the first time I met Andrew Pla at PowerShell Conference and the not only just community person, but the human that you've become in those years is absolutely amazing. And I applaud you for the work that you've done to make yourself better, to make the community better, your family, all of that sort of stuff. Thanks. Thank you, you so much. You bet. Sh show and the show master. That's a new <laughs> show level. Show and the show master. I'm blushing over here. Um, and, and make sure to make sure to check out Wired for Hybrid. <laughs> definitely check out Wired for Hybrid. We'll get to another plug in the end too. <clears throat> thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and thank you for the kind words, Jordan and Michael. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you're still with us now, consider yourself a friend of the podcast. And you know what friends do? They leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. They leave likes. They leave comments. They say what's up. They also send us feedback at PowerShellPDQ.com. You got some constructive feedback, some ideas? Awesome. Got some kind words or some stories to share? We'd love to hear them. I'm at Andrew Plotek. He's at DevOps Jordan. And Michael Gender, where can we keep up with you? Where can we tap in with you on this lovely internet that we all use? Yo, feel free to hit me up on... LinkedIn. Um, I would say that I am on Twitter, also known as X, but I really don't spend time there. But if you've got something you want to reach out, michael.bender at microsoft.com. Happy to get your email, answer questions, that sort of thing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this awesome podcast episode. I had a blast chatting with you. Check out Wired for Hybrid if you're in the Azure networking space. It is a great podcast and way to keep up with things. And Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. He's a troublemaker. He's a rabble rouser. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. <laughs>